All right, so we're going to look at the Apostles' Creed. Um, it's going to be, it looks like a short lesson, but actually there's a lot to be said. Uh, this is really goes to the very heart of what IGC is about. Um, just a quick survey. How many of you have heard of the Apostles' Creed before coming to IGC, before being exposed to it here? How many of you have heard of it? Okay, oh, so there's a fair, fair amount. How many have heard of the Nicene Creed? before coming to IDC. Okay, all right. Um, so this comes to the very heart of what IGC is about, all right? Which is that we are a confessional church. Um, I wanna look at first point five, so that's the second page, all the way at the end. You know how when you go to a church website, they always have a section, what do we believe, right? And if you click on our page, what do, you believe, what do we believe? This is what it'll say, and let me read it for you guys. While we are a new church plant, we see ourselves in the ancient heritage of Christians articulating a common faith. In this sense, we are a confessional church, holding to the historic confessions formulated centuries ago. We hold to what all Christians have believed throughout history since the days of the Apostles, expressed in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. We are committed to the doctrinal foundations of the uh, Protestant Reformation, led by Martin Luther and John Calvin. They are articulated in the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, and the Canons of Dort. All right, so what IGC is, is it's a confessional church. Let me do another quick survey. How many of you have heard of that expression or that phrase, confessional church? Anybody? Ah, all right, so we are breaking new ground. IGC is a confessional church, and this is really foundational to, to what, who we are and what we believe. And... Um, if you go to like other church websites, and I have, and you click what do we believe, they usually have like a list of doctrines, right? This is what we believe, you know? And sometimes that list is really long, sometimes that list is really short. But in essence, every single church that does this, that says this is what we believe, they're basically saying, they're basically making it up. What I mean by that is they're basically saying, here's what we think is important, here's what we think is unimportant, because they don't list it. Here's what we think is truth, and here's what we, do, we think is not truth. But they're but they're deciding for they're deciding for themselves on their own as an independent church. But IGC is not that way. We're a confessional church, and so we 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 uh, we rest on the heritage of the historic classical church. And so when we when so when someone says, "Well, what do you believe?" I don't say, "Well, here's the top five doctrines that we we hold to." I say, "Well." look to the historic confessions and historic creeds. And the Apostles' Creed is the first and foremost. And so I've sort of listed them out here. These two uh, are ancient creeds, right? They, it goes back, uh, this one goes all the way back maybe to the, we're not 100% sure, but to the third century. This one goes back to the fourth century. Um, these are the historic confessions coming out of the Reformation. Uh, the most famous of which is the Westminster Confession of Faith. And then these three, the Belgic, Heidelberg, and then Canons of Dort, right? And so these are, th th this is the summation. This is, you know, what we believe. And I love it because people say, well, what do you believe? And you, you, you send them to these confessions and they're really long, <laughs> right? But we're not just making it up. We don't, we don't hold to just like five or 10 or even 15 doctrines, but it's, these, it's this common faith. All right, so let's go back to page one then. Um... And so with that in mind, let's read the Apostles' Creed. Each time we have the Apostles' Creed lesson, we're going to read it together. Um, and so let's read it together. 
and then we're going to expound on it. But not today. Today's just an introduction, but starting next week. All right, read with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. What you have just read, all Christians throughout history have always held to. Okay? And so this comes to um, IGC, IGC's three core values. Um, it covers basically two of them. Let's, let's do a quick quiz. What are our three core values? Anyone remember? Or I'm sure you guys remember, so don't be shy. What's the first core value? We are? Gospel-driven. Gospel-driven, good. Gospel-driven, or maybe we can say gospel-centered. Same thing. Second one? We are? Good-looking. No. <laughs> We are missional. Missional, that's the third one. Or outward facing. Okay, number two, we are community. Yes, we are a new community, right? So community is our our gospel center community outward facing. The Apostles' Creed covers these two values. Okay? So we are confessional. And I'll explain what that means, okay? All right, so let's go to point one. How do we define what is orthodox belief, and how do we know what is heresy? This is a really, really important question, okay? Um, how many... Who knows the definition of orthodox? Does anyone know? Don't be shy. Well, does anyone know the, the root word ortho? What does ortho mean? Like when you go to the orthodontist, right? Huh? Orthodontist is bones? Oh, is it teeth and bones? I don't know. I mean, you're the medical person, so you know more than I. But um, when I was a kid, I went to the orthodontist because I had crooked teeth, right? And so ortho means, a dentist, I guess, is teeth, and ortho means what? I crooked teeth and then they made it straight. straight, right. Straight, correct, or right. right. Or like orthopedics, right? I guess you walk crooked or something and then they help you to walk straight or your feet straight. Docs here means praise or doctrine or teaching. And so orthodox means right teaching, true teaching, right? And heresy, the word hair means different. And so heresy is different teaching or different doctrine. So how do we know what is right doctrine and what is true doctrine? This is a really important question. This is not something that we're supposed to be like, eh, right? Because look at what the Bible says. Let's read um, Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, wait, can you read it? Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Yeah, Paul tells this to his, uh, to his uh, teach, uh, student Titus. And so Christianity is a religion that is, that is deeply concerned with truth and doctrine. Um, uh, Tub, can you read 2 Timothy? Yeah. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wonder and wander off into myths. Yeah, in my in my devotionals right now, I'm reading Jude. Very strange book, but Jude is an entire book devoted to warning against false teachers. Right? If you read through the New Testament, and in fact a, a large chunk of the Old Testament, constantly warning against false teachers, constantly warning us to stay true to what is orthodox and to run away from heresy. So this is, a, this is an important thing if we want to be Christians. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. Um, can I have uh, Carrie, can you read that for us? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Yeah, it says the faith. By the way, it could be um, without an article. So it could be unity of faith but all the commentators say that Paul very specifically throws in the article there, the faith, meaning that there is one faith, meaning that there is this body of truth, which is the Christian faith. And notice Paul says it's the unity of the faith. You know, there's this saying, I remember when I was in high school, doctrine divides. But Paul says doctrine unites. So it's important for us to know what is orthodox because it brings us together into a community. And then finally, Galatians, um, Eric, can you read that for us? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different philosophy. So I honestly could have picked like 20 verses. I just chose four. Uh, I hope you can understand that this whole question, what is orthodox and what is heresy, is incredibly important. Now, how do we know what is orthodox and what is heretical? How do we know that what is right doctrine, the gospel, and what is not the gospel? How do we know? This is a really important question. There are three answers as far as I, um, I can perceive out there. The first answer is decide for yourself. Right? You sort of read the Bible on your own and you sort of determine, okay, this is true and this is not true, this is right and this is wrong. The problem with this is that you completely disconnect yourself from community. Right? So you don't really hold a community at all and you're just deciding on your own. It's a very individualistic uh, thing, right? Which I think, being Americans, it really connects with us, because you sort of, you know, you don't ask other people what your favorite flavor of ice cream is, or you don't ask other people what your favorite music is. You know, we're very individualistic. But when it comes to doctrine and, uh, and right teaching, right, it, it, it's actually really arrogant to decide on your own. And it actually creates a lot of conflict. I vividly remember having this conversation with someone, um, a sister in Christ, and she was telling me how she doesn't think the church is really important. And I said, how could you not say the church is important? The church is so critical. It says in the Bible that you need to belong to a church, right? And she says, well, I don't really read the Bible that way. I don't see the Bible um, uh, 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 emphasizing the importance of church. I said, but it does, right? She's reading the Bible, I'm reading the Bible, and we come to disagreement. And how do we know? Is she right? Am I right? You know, and if it's just a matter of deciding for yourself, there's no way to tell. I mean, maybe I can, like, beat her up <laughs> and then win the argument that way, but how do we know she's right? How do we know I'm right? Right? I think if this whole idea of deciding for yourself is hopelessly subjective and really um, it doesn't solve anything, it actually, cre it actually destroys community. Um, so, I hope 
we're all agreed. Decide for yourself. Bad answer. The second answer, which I think is much, much, much better, which is look for consensus. Did I spell that correct? There's a C, right? Oh, there's two S. Okay. Consensus, right? And sort of look at the present consensus. I, I think this approach, so you sort of say, all right, what is true and what is not? Well, let's look at what everyone else is saying. This is really great because at least it solves the problem of community. Right? You're not just deciding on your own. You're sort of like looking at what the majority says. But the problem here, I think, is that it sort of enshrines the present. Right? Like this moment, this cultural period, it sort of elevates it as, as the, as the uh, truthful moment. How do you know that the major what the majority says right now has got it right? Actually, that's a really arrogant position as well. And it also doesn't really necessarily solve the problem of subjectivity. Because it depends on you to sort of like look at the landscape and determine on your own, oh, this is true and this is not true. Right? And so it's still hopelessly, not hopelessly, but it's still subjective. And it's sort of like, it's very arrogant in terms of your time frame. And you don't look at all, at all through history. And um, what else is the problem? Oh, and, and then a lot of times the majority is wrong. The majority of evangelical Christians right now do not believe in predestination, right? So IGC is in the minority. Do we say, oh, the majority says this, let's stay safe and be in the majority? I would say the majority is wrong. But how do we know when the majority is wrong if this is our standard, the majority? Do you know what I'm saying? So we need something stronger than the majority. Well, you can say, well, the Bible says the majority is wrong. But then really, when you say the Bible says, you're just going back to this, right? You're, you're just saying, well, this is my reading of the Bible, and the majority will say, well, this is my reading of the Bible. And again, it's completely subjective. Does that make sense? Um, I, I remember, here's another illustration. I remember having this discussion with... Um, someone high up in uh, this denomination. I'm not gonna say the denomination, but uh, this person was a leader in this denomination, and then this person was saying to me, you know, in our denomination, um, what you believe on predestination doesn't matter. So we have Calvinists, we have Armenians, and we all get along together. But everyone in our denomination holds the same view on, on end times. <laughs> Right? So, so basically, this denomination said, end times is, is uh, you can't have any diversity of opinion on end times. But on predestination, you can have all kinds of diverse opinions. And I was like, well, where did you come up with this rule? Where, who told you that, this is, that, that the Bible is sort of lenient on, on predestination, but very strict on end times? And then his answer is, he doesn't have one. There's no, there's no historic connection to it, right? Actually, if you look at the historic confessions uh, going back to the Reformation, it's actually the opposite. The confessions all have a very strict view on predestination because it has to do with salvation. But on end times, there's great diversity, right? So how do we know what's important and what's not? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do we know? Remember I've drawn this circle before, these circles? Okay, this is core. Whoops. This is core. We don't, we don't allow any diversity of opinions. 
and this is peripheral. Right? We all, everyone has agreed on this basic principle, right? Which is that what, what, um, the core is what? We can all agree, uh, maybe the trinity, okay? The doctrine of God is core. What is peripheral? Um, and this is where you run into trouble. How do you know what is peripheral and what is core? And then this guy that I was talking to said, what is peripheral is predestination. And what is core is end times. How do I... <laughs> I'm like, hmm, I actually think it's the opposite. <laughs> right? But how do we determine what's core and what's peripheral? Does that make sense? And so I think this, this, this consensus model is flawed again because we have no way of knowing what's important and what's not important. Does that make sense? Does anyone have any questions? Or I see some furrowed brows before we get to what I think is the right answer. Any questions or points of clarification? No? No? All right. Yes, Eric. Um, so I was talking to this one student on campus who was like part of this like weird cult. And <laughs> uh, whenever, when, I, when I presented this case, the idea of like how um, Core we to, like, no, we need to like uh, stick to like what's been like historically true. One of his responses was like, Oh well, this is like a new revelation that that God or like the Holy Spirit is giving mm -hmm. to the church, kind of like in the same way that like um, what was once mystery was uh, clarified through mm. uh, the apostle. Mm. Uh, they believe that like what was like there was like mystery in the, in the Bible. Like, you can read it for like so many years and still right. not really get to the truth. Right. And, like in an instant, God can like. Reveal Th this is why I think uh, the third position that I'm about to articulate is very helpful in talking to heretics, right? Because I remember vividly having this conversation with a Mormon. I have, a, uh, I have this Mormon friend, and I love him. But I remember telling him, uh, you're not a Christian. <laughs> He's like, but I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I'm like, you're not a Christian because you don't believe in the Trinity. And I remember he said to me, well, who says believing in the Trinity makes you a Christian? Believing in Jesus makes you a Christian. I was like, no. Believing in the Trinity makes you a Christian. And, and, I, and we went back and forth. And he's like, well, who says? And I said, the Bible says. He said, I'm reading the same Bible as you, and I don't, I, don't, I don't even see the word Trinity in the Bible. Ah, that's true. And you know what I ultimately said to him? You're not a Christian because you don't hold to this. The Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. I think this third position is great because the, the, the definition of what is a historic classical Christian rests on this. Right, because if you say the Bible, then you know any kooky person. I remember when I was in uh, college, there was this guy named um, um, Crazy Man or Angry Man. I forget. Right, he would always like talk about the Bible. Right, and like what you know, how can we tell him? Look, you crazy person. Right, because this is it. Well, let me go to point three. Okay. By the way, to your answer, I'm reading Jude. Right, you know what it says in Jude: uh, <clears throat> the gospel once and for all delivered to the apostles. Right? The Bible affirms again and again, there is no more further mystery. The mystery was in the Old Testament, now revealed in the New Testament. The New Testament documents is once and for all the gospel, the fullness of it. But let's go on to point three. So um, what is my answer? My answer is the historic creeds. The creeds and confessions. 
the word confession there doesn't mean like, you know, you go to a priest and confess your sins or something like that. It just means um, what you believe, right? And creed. Um, does anyone know what a creed is? What's the definition of a creed? It comes from the Latin, credo. credo. Does anyone know Latin? No? Credo means I believe. So creed is basically beliefs. So it's the same word, same meaning, right? Um, so we rely on the historic creeds. And uh, I think this approach uh, is vastly superior to the other two because there is no subjectivity. It doesn't depend on your perspective. It doesn't depend on your reading of the Bible. It's what the creeds teach. And the creeds clearly teach X, Y, Z. You know, you can say that the Bible, to some degree, the Bible is like this, and it, I talk about this a little later, but the Bible is this huge book, right? And what the creeds do is it summarizes the Bible's teaching into these clear doctrinal positions. It's like listing ABC doctrine, right? The Bible never says Trinity, but the creeds say Trinity. How do we know the, the doctrine of the Trinity is true? We know that it is true because the Bible teaches it, but more than that, the Bible teaches it as articulated in the creeds, right? And I think the reason why, depending on creeds and confessions, is so helpful is because you rest on the community of believers, right? One of our core values is that you cannot live the Christian life unless you're embedded in community. Right? It's not a solo effort. And the creeds and the confessions stretch back through the centuries. And what you're doing is you're entering into this community of believers that are not just contemporary, but it's all the way back. I mean, what's the amazing thing is as we are reciting the Apostles' Creed, right, for 1,500 years, Christians have been reciting the Apostles' Creed. And so you're entering into not just the worldwide body of believers now, you're entering into the worldwide body of believers through all time. Does that make sense? And so you, you, uh, you, it, it, I think the ultimate humble position, and that's why I use the word submit, because you're not deciding for yourself, you're resting and trusting on what the church has always taught. The Apostles' Creed is foundational, right? It's not just Protestants who hold to the Apostles' Creed. All branches of Christianity hold to the Apostles' Creed. Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox. Do you know how you, do you know do you know do you know how you can tell you're a heretic if you reject the Apostles' Creed? Do you know who rejects the Apostles' Creed? Uh, Mormons, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, name a name a name a cult. They reject the Apostles' Creed. Does that make sense? And so that's how you can tell. And I think that's I think the best way you can talk to. Um, to someone saying, well, you don't hold to what Christians have always historically believed, which is creeds and confessions. And so that's what it means that we are a confessional church. We're not making it up on our own. We're not deciding for ourselves. We're not even just saying, I'm going to read the Bible and draw it from myself. We're trusting what Christians have always taught throughout history. Um, any questions? Any comments? This is new, right? I bet very few of you have heard this argument or this sort of view. So there must be comments. Yes. Would would uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witness say like, oh we don't we don't adhere to Yeah, they reject the creeds. Really? What about like Seventh day Adventists? Seventh you know, I don't know. Seventh day Adventists is one of those groups where 
people disagree whether or not they're um, heretical. <laughs> There's definitely a branch that's like, ooh, crazy, right? Um, but, uh, but they've really moderated. So honestly, I don't know. For me to be able to answer, I, I, I'm out of my league. Um, any other questions? No? So we're all like on board. We're all going to be confessional. <laughs> well, I guess the question that I have is like, because number two, you said like, oh, it enshrines the present, mm -hmm. but by uh, holding to historic creeds and confessions, are we just enshrining what uh, was in the past, yeah, right? The third century? Yeah, so not everything that comes from the third century is correct, right? So the reason why the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed in particular um, have such uh, foundational validity is because it isn't just like, all the Christians got together and said, oh, this is, this is what we believe. But every century, this has happened, right? Every century, all the historic, I mean, every denomination in America right now, even if they don't like actively teach the Apostles' Creed or even if they don't like uh, uh, talk about it or, or teach it in their churches, they affirm the Apostles' Creed. So every generation re-examines the Apostles' Creed in light of Scripture. And I want to say this is very, this is very important. We're not saying um, the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed is infallible. And it, it, we submit, oh, we be, it, we, I believe it because the Apostles' Creed says it. The, the foundation is Scripture, Right? Um, I'm sure some of you have heard of the Reformation slogan, sola scriptura, right? Scripture alone. Now, a lot of people misinterpret that means to mean, oh, I read for myself what the Bible says. No, the Reformation never believed that. The Reformation said that the scripture is foundational, and the Roman Catholic Church added all these traditions on top of scriptures. For example, they taught uh, purgatory. Where do you see purgatory in scripture? They say, no, we don't see purgatory in scripture, but, right? But, you know, the popes. And, you know, they sort of, through tradition, came up with this idea of purgatory. And so the Reformation said, no, if it's not in Scripture, then we reject it. So everything in the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed in particular has been examined in light of Scripture. Does that make sense? But we're not so naive to say, well, let's get rid of all the creeds, Bible alone. People who say Bible alone, every single heretic has said Bible alone. That's, that's how you know you're a heretic. I don't believe in the creeds, I believe in the Bible alone. And I'm like, all right, heretic. <laughs> right? All Christians have held to the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed. And so we're going to examine it for ourselves. Is this really true? And if it's true, then why reject it? Because by holding to the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed in particular, you're, you're, you're tethering yourself to all Christians throughout history. Right? Because if you, if, you, if you cut yourself off, then, then you're isolated. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? I think I just like used it as a launching pad to talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. But. Okay. All right, let's keep going on. Um, all right, uh, point number two, C.S. Lewis on the value of reading old books. You know, uh, because of time constraints, we're not going to read it. Uh, I, I actually recommend you read it on your own. It's a really great quote. It comes from his uh, introduction to um, Athanasius' uh, old book called On the Incarnation. But let me just summarize for you what C.S. Lewis here says. I think C.S. Lewis is so profound and so wise here. He basically says, uh, and he, this is what he says, if you had a choice between reading new books and old books, he says you should always read 
if you only had a choice of old books and new books, he says you should always read old books. And the reason why he says that is because uh, when you only read new books, you have no, no way of, uh, no way of uh, being able to discern its mistakes. Because a new book is firmly embedded in contemporary culture. And you as a modern person is embedded in contemporary culture. So you have no, you have no way to know your cultural blinders. Do you know what I'm saying? But when you read an old book, you're reading someone in a different culture. And they're able to critique our present culture and articulate uh, Christian beliefs in a new way. And you sort of like, the, the, the disconnect in the two cultures helps you to see more clearly what's going on, right? And I think that's the value of reading the old confessions. You know, these come from the uh, uh, 17th century. Actually, this is the oldest. I think this one comes from the 16th century. This one comes from antiquity. What's really great about it is that you're not just saying... Um, you're, you're reading the wisdom of Christians of long ago, you know, and they have a voice too. And you're listening to them, you know. You know, I think Asian culture, what's awesome about Asian culture is that we respect our elders. Well, you know, Christians respect our elders too. And we have great, 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 great grandfathers who are believers, who loved Jesus, who loved the gospel. And they wrote down these confessions for us. And so we're listening to them, you know. It's not that they have ultimate authority, but we're listening to their wisdom. Okay, I, keep, I, I think I keep saying the same thing over and over. Okay, point number three. Why not just read the Bible, right? Um, no creed but the Bible. You know, people say, well, I don't like these old dusty creeds. I just want to read the Bible. Um, again, I think this is deeply flawed. Uh, it's actually really arrogant because you're refusing to learn. I think I've already said all of this. Uh, the second paragraph, this is the path that leads to heresy. Uh, this is really true. All heretics, and I, and I say this without uh, ex, uh, exception, all heretics started out by saying, I reject the creeds, let's just read the Bible. Because you know how heresy happens? Heresy happens when you see something new in the Bible. <gasps> I'm the first one. Oh, this, is the, this is a teaching that no one else has ever seen. If no one has ever seen it, it is a heresy. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Right? There's nothing new under the sun. Um, um, of course, that's not to say that scholarship, present-day scholarship, doesn't add deeper understanding. But, I mean, and Wade, you can testify to this, right? All evangelical scholarship rests on what is already laid out in the foundations. We're always standing on the shoulders of the theological giants before us. Right? And anytime you find something that you completely disagree, like if you say, you know what? The Trinity isn't true. I actually think God is like this. And then you see the confessions and you're like, hmm, I need to re-examine my reading of the Bible. You don't say, you know, stupid confessions. I'm just going to go with what I see. It's an incredibly arrogant uh, uh, way to go about it. And then finally, point number three, so it, it says that paragraph, finally, if the Bible is the whole topographical terrain of the earth, then you need a map to get around. You see this even in the Bible itself, miniature summations of the gospel. Uh, this is where I got from C.S. Lewis. We're actually going to read it for a small group. But uh, C.S. Lewis has this great illustration. He says, if the Bible, the Bible is so thick, right? It's huge. How can you just say, what do you believe? This is what I believe, right? Well, that's great, right? But uh, what does it actually say? Um, and so if the Bible is the whole terrain of the earth, then uh, the confessions is like Google Maps, you know? And you can kind of like see it 
you know, in summation. And the Bible itself has summations of the gospel. So let's read um, two summations just to show you guys. Tony, can you read First Timothy 3? Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Yeah. This is a beautiful summation of the gospel. Paul gives it to us in his boom, 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 short phrases. This is what it means to be a believer. Um, can I have uh, Eric read First John? By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Yeah, he doesn't say, this is how you know you're, you're not from the Spirit, if you, don't, if you reject the Bible. Well, what does that mean, right? He, he specifically summarizes, he says, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's the summary of the gospel. Those are little, little, little mini creeds within the Bible itself. And so we're, just, we're not going against Scripture. We're following along the logic of Scripture. And then so finally, and let me close with this. What is the Apostles' Creed? It is the oldest of all church creeds. Um, the name comes from the fact that it's supposed to be a summation of the apostles' teaching. In fact, there's a, a really old kind of like a myth or I don't know how to call it, like a, 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 a tradition that the apostles each contributed a line. There's supposed to be 12 lines, so each of the 12 apostles contributed a line. You know, that's not true. Um, but um, uh, the Apostles' Creed is named because uh, the early church said this is what the apostles taught, right? And uh, it, it probably existed in some form in the third century. So this is the 200s, 200 years after the time of Christ. And then it came to its final form in the fourth century, so in the 300s. And then all Christians throughout history have affirmed the Apostles' Creed. And so this is why we're going to study it. Um, any questions or any comments or thoughts? I tried to leave at least five minutes at the end for questions. So I'm ready. So you're going to go over in the coming weeks how the, like how uh, the creed came about. I mean, you mentioned. Well, we don't know how the creed came about. But I mean, like in terms of like how it played into like the early, early church and. Yeah. No, we're not. We're not going to go over like how the uh, the creed was used throughout history, um, but we're just going to explain phrase by phrase each. So there are a lot of interesting phrases that I'm sure some of you are wondering about in the Apostles' Creed. So, for example. He descended into hell. What does that mean? Or um, he came to judge the quick and the dead. I remember when I was a kid, the quick and the dead. Isn't that like from Western movies, right? So Jesus judges who can sling their guns faster or slower. So what does that mean? Um, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I thought we were Protestants. This is weird, right? Um, and so... All of these phrases are going to be explained uh, phrase by phrase. And then Eric and Harry and myself are just going to go through it. And then uh, uh, there's just some deep, deep doctrines. Anyone asks you, uh, what do you believe? Just tell them, I believe in the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> but no, but what are the five doctrines that you believe in? Oh, I believe in more, much more than five, but here's the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> so I, I think it's a wonderful way to tell people what you believe. Maybe a jerky way, right? <laughs> Any, any questions or any more comments? That was great. All right. Then 
Thank you for listening. I hope you're as excited as I am. I'm excited that we're going to go through the Apostles' Creed. Um, <laughs> let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your providence you have always watched over the church and uh, 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 you've, always, uh, you've always given the church the way to know what is true and right by studying your scriptures uh, through Christian community and you've given us these creeds and confessions. We pray that as we look and study at the Apostles' Creed, we would see the rich gospel truth that's embedded in it. Um, and we pray that you would uh, bless us through the next two to three months as we look at it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.